0: hello and welcome to scream scene the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst my name's sarah and i'm ben thank you for listening to us today how are you doing ben pretty good it's a nice new notebook you have there. It's
1: a nice new notebook I have that I wrote in with a nice new pen.
0: Yes. A friend of ours runs a shop where uh, you can get like stationery and notebooks and, you know, that general idea. And she had a pop-up sale this weekend. So we went and got some new goodies.
1: But, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff, you can order from her online at inkandimplements.com
0: Yeah. I've never had a fountain pen before. Right and i wrote my notes with it how'd you find it good i had trouble with the ink hmm. i don't know if i set it up right ah. <laughs> i wish it came with instructions sure um but as it's my very first one i i don't know what i'm doing okay today potentially will be the day of the 200th movie going on the list
1: that's right that's right um We passed episode 200 some time ago.
0: 15 episodes ago, Ben. (laughs) uh, It's
1: episode 215. Yeah. um, But because not all the movies we watch go on the list, uh, the list is currently sitting at 199 entries. Uh, So we will see if this movie ranks, and if so, where. I'm hoping it doesn't actually go in at number 200. That would be very, very, very bad.
0: Yeah, honestly, I... I don't. I don't want to spoil anything. Never mind. Okay. I, given the track record of this movie's lineage, uh huh. I am not optimistic about where this movie will go on the list.
1: I am. Ah.
0: So. Well, what are we talking about, Ben?
1: We're talking about the daughter of Dr. Jekyll from 1957. Exciting. So we've seen the son of Dr. Jekyll. We've seen Dr. Jekyll. Yes. We've even seen Dr. Jekyll. Yes. We've seen a lot of movies spinning out of Robert Louis Stevenson's Victorian novel.
0: Yes, we have had five adaptations of this novel. The first one was in 1912, uh, which we covered in episode one. Um, It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, directed by Lucius Henderson and with James Cruz playing the doctor right and mister and
1: that was okay
0: yeah was all right it's ranked at number 160 in 1913 we had a version this time starring king baggett and directed by herbert brennan um we covered that in episode one and it's ranked the lowest at number 186 yeah
1: it's not as good
0: Then in 1920, we had a pretty good one. Uh, This is the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with John Barrymore and directed by John Robertson. And we covered the 1920 version in episode six, and that is ranked at number 140. All right. And then 11 years later, we get 1931's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, with Frederick March playing... The title characters and directed by Ruben Mamoulian. Mm-hmm. Now, we covered this version in episode 27, and it is currently still ranked number one on the scream scene list.
1: Yeah, nearly 200 episodes later, still our reigning champ.
0: And then in 1941, Spencer Tracy gave it a shot, and we got to um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, directed by Victor Fleming. We covered that in episode 87, and it's ranked at number 56. So higher than all of the other Jekylls, except for the 31. Yes. And you know, it was all right. In each of these, they have, in each of these adaptations, we have some that are like a little closer to the book, a little further away from the book, some are pretty condensed versions of the book, but in every case you have Dr. Jekyll or Jekyll doing experiments because he is struggling with the idea of, like, I'm an upright citizen, a good doctor, but I also want to experience the world, or maybe I I want to have an outlet for these animalistic feelings, or whatever. So he concocts a potion, drinks it, and that results in Mr. Hyde coming out and mr hyde goes and does evil things and jekyll pays the price for it i think
1: with each adaptation what's interesting is at least for a filmmaker or a storyteller is you kind of get to define what you think good and evil are by how you depict jekyll and hyde
0: yes absolutely and You know, I think the reason why 1920 and 1931 are pretty strong contenders is because it kind of addresses the hypocrisy of the Victorian era. Mm -hmm. In 1941, um, they were dealing with the code, and so they cut out a lot of the sexual undertones.
1: Well, it's like it's hard to criticize the hypocrisy of a highly moralistic age. When you yourself are the victim of a highly
0: moralistic age. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, a decade after Spencer Tracy did Jekyll and Hyde, we got Son of Jekyll uh, in 1951. Now, we covered this in episode 157. It's directed by Seymour Friedman and has Lewis Hayward playing Edward, the long lost son of Dr. Jekyll. This film did not rank... We ultimately decided... Really? That it wasn't horror? Yeah. Huh, I don't remember that. Do you remember
1: why we decided it wasn't horror?
0: Yes. The Son of Dr. Jekyll is actually more of a sequel to the novel than any of the previous iterations. Um, You can tell mainly because this is from Columbia rather than any of the previous studios.
1: Right, and the novel's what's in public domain.
0: Exactly. So it picks up right as uh, we see Hyde's demise... And Jekyll's friend, Lanyon, discovers that there's an orphan left behind. And it's shown to be a little unclear for Lanyon whether this is Hyde's son or Jekyll's son. Sure. Um, he knows they're the same person, but it's like yeah, genetics who determine did, whether you are a good person or not. Who did the deed? Clearly Hyde did the deed. <laughs> Jekyll wouldn't fuck.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the point
0: that's exactly that's the point um anyway so edward is raised by some family friends with lanyon kind of overseeing his education and managing the jekyll estate um when edward uh reaches you know he gets to be 30 ish um he is in college also studying science um and is you know pushing some like scientific boundaries about like what you can and should do Mm -hmm. um and this is when Lanyon tells Edward where his lineage actually lies. And maybe you shouldn't be pushing these scientific boundaries. Edward, now that he knows, wants to clear the family name. So he goes to the old Jekyll estate and finds the laboratory and starts getting into some of the experiments. He basically wants to show that, like, there was no hide. You killed an innocent man because he was doing science. Hmm. Um, as he's mucking around with these experiments, he creates the potion according to his father's notes, drinks it, and there is now a hide like figure <laughs> stalking the night, murdering people. People think that it's Edward because it's like someone's. It's like, it's exactly all of the like Son of Frankenstein. Right ghost of Frankenstein, that typical thing of like, someone's back in the estate, clearly they're the ones mucking things up. Except it turns out that it was Lanyon all along. Uh, He was putting on a disguise to look like Hyde to go commit these murders, both as a way to convince Edward that, hey, you're insane, you don't remember doing these things, like you need to be committed and you need me to continue managing the estate, Um, And if that doesn't work, then, you know, Edward, go to jail and I'll continue managing the estate because the estate is how Lanyon is rich. So the reason we decided it was not horror is because it focused more on the mystery Hmm. rather than the horror of being lied to or gaslit or anything like that and honestly the whole story was pretty similar to another film that did not rank and featured the offspring of an evil character the devil bat's daughter right so that was 1946 very similar plot but it's about you know following up a very hilarious bad movie called the devil bat with bella lugosi it's episode 141 if you want to listen back to that. So basically the same kind of plot. And from what I've heard about the daughter of Dr. Jekyll, it sounds like it's going to be yet another case of uh, some of these similar plot lines. But we will have to wait and see.
1: So in explaining daughter of Dr. Jekyll and also kind of its relationship to son of Dr. Jekyll.
0: Yeah, they're like half siblings, right? (laughs) Different mom. (laughs)
1: They are not in continuity with each other. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: But does the name Jack Polluxfin ring any bells for you, Sarah? No. Jack Polluxfin was a former journalist turned screenwriter and film producer who made B-movies. We first ran into him because he was the writer and producer of The Man from Planet X. Okay. uh, Which was a very early sci-fi horror film that uh, had a sort of similar feel to a lot of those other early ones um, about an alien landing on Earth and getting up to... No good. No good. Um, but it had a very like atmospheric, kind of gothic visual sensibility. He also was a writer uh, among three of Son of Dr. Jekyll. Okay. He did not produce that film. But he was one of the three writers. The other two writers wrote the screenplay. The three of them together have credit for the story. Polluxman also produced and wrote a movie that we don't have as fond memories of as Man from Planet X, The Neanderthal Man. Oh. Which is a movie that is awful, is very bad, um, but is another, you know, B horror sci fi film. His films since The Neanderthal Man have sort of trended to fantasy more than horror. Uh, he produced and wrote Return to Treasure Island, a unofficial sequel to the Disney live-action Treasure Island. You know, not done by Disney, but taking advantage of the fact that the book Treasure Island is in the public domain, but definitely cashing in on the Disney movie by casting the same actor as Long John Silver. Sure. And then his most recent movie sort of before this was Son of Sinbad uh, competing with the recent Seventh Voyage of Sinbad stop motion film from Ray Harryhausen. So kind of doing like cheap fantasy movies that are like kind of ripping off bigger names.
0: He's making transmorphers.
1: He returns here to the horror genre. He is writing and producing Daughter of Dr. Jekyll. And he is the sole credited writer here. So this is his true version for the descendant of Dr. Jekyll. His original vision, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Daughter of Dr. Jekyll reunites Polluxven with the director of The Man from Planet X, Edgar G. Mm Ulmer. Ulmer is someone we've seen a few times before. He was a Jewish filmmaker born in Austria-Hungary in 1904 who started out as a set designer working on numerous silent classics before coming to America with F.W. Murnau to work on the film Sunrise in 1927. He began directing feature films in 1933 and had a big hit the next year with The Black Cat from Universal Studios starring Karloff and Lugosi, which is one of our favorite horror movies. It currently is ranked at number nine on the list so in the top 10 Mm -hmm. unfortunately ulmer had an affair with the wife of the boss's nephew so he found himself kind of banished to poverty row for the rest of his career in poverty row he sort of developed that niche very effectively creating movies that would go on to become critical darlings on very small budgets and in very like dismissed genres Uh, such as 1945's Detour and 1946's The Strange Woman. Since last we saw Almer's work on the moody, low-budget Man from Planet X, which we ranked at number 97, Almer has directed seven pictures. And after this movie, he will direct six more. He passed away of a stroke in 1972. But his films have gone from being cult classics to becoming like, critically acclaimed and academically studied in part due to the efforts of his daughter Ariane to find and preserve the best surviving elements of her father's work and to promote it and draw attention to it in the case of daughter of dr jekyll she tracked down jack polluxman and asked for the rights to the negatives only weeks before Polluxven died in
0: 2003 Oh, uh, wait uh of mysterious circumstances? No, of
1: being 95 years old. Okay, I
0: was just, you know, it. otherwise it's a little suspicious what she's doing.
1: <laughs> but that enabled the release of a restored DVD from Image Entertainment that year, which is now out of print. The film stars Gloria Talbot in the title role. She was born in 1931 and began her career as a child actress, but stopped acting after her first marriage at the age of 17. She then resumed acting after her first divorce at the age of 22. (laughs) She acted regularly in low-budget film and television through the 1950s and 60s while married to her second husband. Starting with this movie, she enjoyed a period as a scream queen in the late 1950s, appearing in four such films overall.
0: Is Talbot her real last name?
1: Yes, with two Ts.
0: Oh, with two Ts. Okay. Because with her being a scream queen, I wasn't sure if they were trying to, like, leverage, like, Lawrence Talbot of Wolfman.
1: Nah, nah, nah. She retired from acting when she married her third husband, who was a doctor. After divorcing him, she remained married to her fourth husband, another doctor, until her death in 2000. Her co-star is low-budget leading man John Agar. This one-time husband of Shirley Temple and habitual drunk driver has previously been seen by us in Revenge of the Creature and The Mole People, and he appeared in a number of like, sci-fi horror genre pictures throughout the 1950s, like Tarantula in 1955, The Brain from Planet Arrows in 1957, and Attack of the Puppet People in 1958, among many, many others, among all the westerns that he also made over the years.
0: It's that square jaw he has. Yeah. Filming began
1: on The Daughter of Dr. Jekyll in November of 1956, taking place over six days at an old house in Los Angeles. Sure. Gloria Talbot had a good time filming the movie. Uh, She found Ulmer fun and quirky to work with. Quirky? Uh, Yes. Uh, She enjoyed making the film, uh, although... She points out that if you look closely in the background of some scenes, you can see 1950s cars driving by through the windows of the house. Is it supposed to be... Uh, it's supposed to be like periody.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes sense, Sarah. Duh. Because well, it's set in Victorian era and she's the daughter. Of course it has to be set... It has to be a period piece. Yeah,
1: but, you know, the Universal movies have no idea what year they're set in, so... Fair. Uh, the film is notable. For incorporating elaborate nightmare sequences, which Ulmer shot on ultraviolet film.
0: What is ultraviolet film?
1: Ultraviolet film would be film that is sensitive to ultraviolet light. So you're probably familiar with infrared film. So infrared film is sensitive to infrared, which is a lower frequency band than red on the electromagnetic
0: spectrum. So when you see heat vision.
1: Right. That's infrared film simply because uh, heat tends to produce infrared radiation. So the film picks up that. So that's heat vision. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking
0: ultra- of like the Predator. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm thinking heat No, absolutely.
1: Vision. Absolutely. No, you're okay. totally right. Yeah. Ultraviolet film would be at the other end of the spectrum. So it's a higher frequency than violet um, in terms of your, your Roy ROYGBIV.
0: Alphabet. Yeah, that's why it's ultra.
1: Correct. I have no idea what ultraviolet film will look like in black and white. I, okay. have, I have no idea. It'll be really interesting to see.
0: Do you know what it looks like in color?
1: No. Okay, like, I but <laughs> you
0: specified black and white. Well, so just so that just... it was
1: clear that this movie is in black and white.
0: <laughs> sure. Well, we will describe it afterwards. This movie was released
1: on July 28th, 1957 on a double bill with Bert I. Gordon's The Cyclops, which also stars Gloria Talbot his movies are bad. Uh, they range the gamut from bad, bad to like enjoyable, fun, bad. Um, most of them, while they are in the same, like milieu as the movies we're watching, don't really fall into horror. The Cyclops might get closest, but it to me is more of like an adventure film. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, listeners, if you think we really need to be watching some Burt I Gordon movies, um, you know, send us an email laying out your case. Regardless, daughter of Dr. Jekyll was an indie production Um, so it was initially distributed by, uh, by allied artists who put it on the double bill with the Cyclops. It runs only 71 minutes. So when it came time for allied artists to sell the film to television, uh, they made it longer to fill that 90 minute slot by adding long prologue and epilogue text rolls with narration as well as double printing frames.
0: Yeah, man, I guess they just don't give a fuck.
1: No. Initial critical response was dismissive. You know, it was like, yeah, this is an indie B horror movie. Like, it's fine. That was sort of the, crit- the critical correction at the time was like, this is fine. Um, later write-ups in, like, the 70s onwards when people started to rediscover kind of these movies focused on the film's flaws. Like, oh, it's low budget. You can see modern cars. Or it's inconsistencies. Like, oh, this bit of the plot doesn't make sense. And really mostly just pointing out that the plot makes no sense. However, um, as Ulmer's filmography has become like this thing that academics study and whatnot, um, critics who specialize in his work have analyzed the film in the context of female identity issues in the 1950s, um, with like the film having sexual undertones and like thematic relevance to like the patriarchal oppression of women, um that sort of thing gloria talbot always said that she was really proud of the film and thought that it had more going on under the hood than people gave it credit for whereas john agar said that you know he gave it his best shot but he mostly did it for the paycheck and he kind of just didn't believe the story was credible
0: yeah but that's everything agar is doing right now so
1: yes the best dvd release of daughter of dr jekyll is the aforementioned image entertainment release from 2003 which is out of print But the movie's in the public domain, so there's a lot of copies available everywhere. You can watch it along with us on Tubi or on our YouTube playlist.
0: You can find that YouTube playlist on our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss The Daughter of Dr. Jekyll from 1957, directed by Edgar G. Ulmer.
1: See you on the other side, everybody. welcome back to scream scene everybody we just finished watching the daughter of dr jekyll from 1957 directed by edgar g almer well sarah Mm -hmm. what'd you think
0: i was a little tired with this movie Mm -hmm. um but it did have some surprises in store i don't see what you said that like current day critics were reading into it um that feels to me like people being like well we want this to be just as important as like dracula's daughter Mm. and it's like it's not yeah but you know good elmer work you know it has his like fingerprints on it um yeah fine you
1: it has the feel of someone trying to do his best in very, very limited circumstances.
0: Yeah, that's what his career has led him to, you know?
1: But, like, this feels even more limited than, like, detour. Like, there are some sequences in this movie that I think border on effective. One thing that I thought watching this was, I could make this movie. I could have made this movie in film school. I could have made this movie before I went to film school, even if I had, like, access to a nice house.
0: Yeah, but there's certain things that Elmer does, I think, that I don't know if you fresh either in or right before film school that you would have been able to do. Sure.
1: I think, um, like The Unearthly from last week, this is a movie that I wonder if I would have been more positive to if we hadn't done this podcast and I hadn't seen so many movies that are so very similar to it. Because the plot, at least, is like definitely something we've seen many times.
0: Like, OK, I mean, I can go into the plot here, but it's basically Ken the Canary, but with werewolves. Yes. So Ken the Canary is 25 years ago. Like, I think it's OK to say that it's harping on a string that has been played many times.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is basically the same as Son of Dr. Jekyll, which was basically the same as devil bat's daughter except this is even more like devil bat's daughter than son of dr jekyll
0: was yeah
1: and it all dates back to at least cat in the canary if not earlier
0: so to tell the story uh we're set in like the 1910s yeah about that and we have janet and her fiance george not brad (laughs) uh heading to janet's guardian's house uh, now, Janet is an orphan and has been basically raised, presumably not in this manor house, by a Dr. Lomas. Or Loomis,
1: depending on who's saying it. Exactly.
0: Now, it's uh, the night before her 21st birthday, and she's like, Hey, Dr. Lomas, thanks for raising me, and uh, I know you told me to come here alone, but I wanted to bring my fiancé. By the way, I'm engaged And this is my fiancé, George, and after I turn 21, we're going to be married. Uh, And Lomas is like, huh, I have some surprises to tell you as well. Uh, I have to tell you about your father. I made a promise that on your 21st birthday, I would tell you. Turns out her father is Dr. Henry Jekyll, and this manor house and the estate belongs to Janet, and she's rich, she's not a penniless orphan, Wow, what what a turn of events, except, hey, your father, Henry Jekyll, was a werewolf.
1: You know, that famous werewolf, Dr. Henry Jekyll.
0: The way that they tie in the lycanthropy is basically, you know, they give like this summary of what Jekyll was up to, you know, split the good person and the bad person within you into like two separate people and, and doing this through chemicals, except that the Bad person is personified by a werewolf uh that comes out with the full moon.
1: it's weird because the depiction of mr. Hyde uh more or less in this movie kind of agrees with like standardish Mr. Hyde kind of portrayals like he's like hairier than most people and ugly and has like monster teeth, but they do keep basically referring to him as a werewolf and it just feels like Jack Pollock's been maybe like really skimmed a Coles Notes version of Jekyll and Hyde here.
0: Listen, I Was a Teenage Werewolf just came out. Mm. He wants to hit on that werewolf iron while it's hot. Now we do have a, a local village and uh, rumors of uh, claims that Jekyll, as werewolf Hyde, uh, still stalks the nights on a full moon
1: even though the villagers did stake him in his tomb. You know, the way that you get rid of werewolves.
0: Listen, we know vampires are shapeshifters and all of the historical mix-up and rigmarole of, like, vampires equals werewolf. I'm willing to give the movie that.
1: I just like that they decided to make Dr. Jekyll into every kind of horror monster at once.
0: So since being told of her lineage, Janet begins having nightmares and trouble sleeping. So Dr. Lomas has started giving her, you know, hot milk, the usual thing. Um, The housekeeper also is like, yeah, I'll put some brandy in it. That'll help you sleep. Uh, It does not. Or rather, it does help her sleep, except she's having these terrible nightmares. Now, first, she dreams that she turns into a sexy babe werewolf, comes out of the family crypt, and goes and murders her maid Maggie. Later, she has another nightmare where she goes and transforms into a sexy werewolf babe.
1: She looks like Vampira yeah, in
0: white. Yeah, it's it's a little ridiculous. Um, not not as a tight of a waist though.
1: No, but um, she doesn't have any like hair, <laughs> extra hair that is.
0: Um, well, that would mean that she wouldn't be sexy, Ben, because patriarchy. <laughs> so she goes and stalks. Um, lucy 18 from the village lucy has just like slapped her boyfriend because they were like necking in the woods and she's like no slap that's as far as i go it's silent so i'm just Mm -hmm. adding in voiceover and so she leaves her boyfriend um archie i'm going to call him (laughs) and uh then lucy gets killed uh in this nightmare so teens, Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, so all through this and this experience for Janet waking up to, like, a bloody gown and, like, blood on her hands, mud on her shoes, um, groundskeeper Jacob is becoming pretty suspicious. He's like, ah, for the daughter, the, the apple clearly doesn't fall far from the tree. And he's riling up the boys at the pub. George and Dr. Lomas do try to assuage Janet's fears until finally we come to the climax. George has nailed the windows shut and the doctor is going to lock himself in this room with Janet while she drinks, you know, this like medicine to help her sleep. Um, and the doctor's going to stay with her through the whole night. Uh, except, turns out uh, he actually hypnotizes her and draws her via follow this flame um, up to the hidden laboratory that we had seen before, down through some hidden steps, through into the family crypt.
1: Le Gasp.
0: Um, now, George had been having trouble sleeping because he's worried about his fiance, overhears them creeping about, and follows. And the doctor tells Janet as uh, he lays her hypnotized body onto her father's sarcophagus um, that, like, again, you will dream that you are a werewolf and that you've killed in the night. And then when you awaken, you will hang yourself with this rope over your father's grave to, like, atone for your sins. Hypnosis. And then he goes to leave through the mausoleum front gate now George has heard all this and so he follows the doctor just in time to see moonlight hit the entrance and the good doctor transforms into a werewolf
1: you know just like an ugly guy with sideburns I will say this was the like twist in the movie that actually semi-surprised me everything else including the doctor like you know, gaslight hypnotizing Janet so that he could keep the estate and the money or whatever was all pretty easily foreseen. I didn't actually suspect him to turn out to be a real monster.
0: Yeah, well, a a real werewolf. He would have already have been a monster.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yes, fair.
0: So George fights him, loses, not to the death, he just gets tossed down some stairs, and werewolf Lomas heads off into the night, spies a sexy babe, There's a lot of gratuitous, let's get dressed scenes Mm -hmm. as if this is some kind of exploitation movie. He goes and kills that babe. Uh, It's kind of a neat sequence um, because this babe is getting dressed uh, and then the phone rings and she answers. She's like, yes. And it's the telephone operator being like, hey, remember the monster's out. People are hunting it and we want you to stay safe. Why aren't you answering? Why do I hear screaming on the other end of the phone? Hello? And uh, yeah, you get like the full like shadows on the wall of chick being killed and screaming.
1: Yeah, like the the, the camera sort of stays more or less pointed at the phone while it's all happening, like kind of off screen. It's It's probably the closest sequence in the movie to like really being memorable.
0: Yeah. But there were some huntsmen, huntingsmen, near this house, and they hear the screams. And so now Werewolf Lomas is on the run with the mob closing in. Uh, now, as he makes his way back to the mausoleum, to the crypt, uh, George has awoken uh, to see Janet starting to tie the rope to hang herself, and he's like, no, Janet and, Like slaps her and wakes her up. And he's like, This is what's going on. The doctor, inheritance, estate, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then they hear the doctor coming. And they're like, okay, you lay on the slab, pretend you're still hypnotized, and I'll fight the doctor. And that's what happens. Uh, Again, George loses horribly. Um, But it doesn't matter because he manages to push back werewolf Lomas. So he lands on his back just as Jacob, the groundskeeper, with a big, long pike stake... Comes in and stabs Werewolf Lomaz in the heart, and of course, Lomaz returns to his human state, and uh, that's that's nearly the end, because this film is bookended, front and beginning, with a spooky mood-setting thing. When the film opens, we get voiceover saying, "Yes, the book by." Robert Louis Stevenson about Jekyll and Hyde and We all know the story. Bah, bah, bah. But once he died, it, was, it all was all over. And meanwhile, it's like this foggy room, the camera's creeping in on a profile of a werewolf of Hyde and um as the narrator says like and it was all over once he died, um Hyde turns to the camera and says, "Are you sure?" And then, you know, the end of uh, the film has that same scene. I, it's someone speaking over. I think it's Jacob. Yeah. Um, gunskeeper Jacob saying like, and now he'll never hunt again. And then Hyde turns to the camera and says, are you sure? Yeah. And it's in that kind of voice. Um, And that's the movie. Yeah. One thing I didn't mention is that for any establishing shots, Hmm. We have a very well done model of a manor house and its grounds and uh, the outline of like a crypt on the grounds and it spins and there's fog and smoke and lights. And yeah, so that's that's like classic Omer, mm-hmm. especially like his would all say like his tradition, like German expressionist tradition, Mm -hmm. because we also get that from Paul Lenny and Cat in the Canary.
1: Yeah. And like he did similar stuff with um, Man from Planet X. Yeah. Used that kind of diorama model style before. Like it's a well done model in that it's like very cool, but um, it's not, it's obviously a model. Like no one would ever look at that and like mistake it for a real house Um, because they definitely just had a house in L.A. to shoot this in and then, like, you know, go running through the park just like every other B-horror movie does. And, like, everything else to suggest a world beyond that is smoke and mirrors.
0: I don't know about the mirrors, but definitely smoke.
1: Definitely smoke. So, for me, this movie's just so extremely old-fashioned. Yeah. There's just so many old cliches that they've kind of rolled up into this one. I talked about how they managed to confuse or combine Jekyll and Hyde with a vampire and a werewolf. There's a lot of things that feel inconsistent in this movie. Like Jekyll definitely turned into a monster by means of drugs. It's just that the monster he turned into by means of drugs, Mr. Hyde was activated by the full moon, like a werewolf, except that he was still like drug induced. And then like he got staked like a vampire and like he rises after death. And also they've kind of, turned Jekyll into being sort of a Frankenstein figure, not so much in the sense of like bringing people back from the dead, but in the sense that there's like a big Jekyll estate by a village with like family history and tombs and like, you know, they're the rich Lords of this village who the village like hates. Whereas like, you know, classic Dr. Jekyll just had like a townhouse in London.
0: I mean, he was rich.
1: Sure. But like, but he
0: wasn't like manor house owning an estate rich. Yeah. You know, I'm willing to give this to them because the whole idea of like, and now the child shall follow Mm -hmm. in these footsteps comes from the whole universal Frankenstein baggage of son of Frankenstein, ghost of Frankenstein, monster of Frankenstein, like whatever they are, like it's a tradition that's established in the Frankenstein mold. So I understand why it's here, even though I do agree that it's like choppy and a little lazy.
1: Well, it's because like, it's just another cliche that they've brought into this movie. Like this movie's just doing all these old cliches. We've got the hidden passages. We've got our candelabras. We've got the fog, Um, you know, every exterior shot, no matter time of day. Is suffused with fog like it's the old Universal movies and that old aesthetic. Except this movie's super, super, super cheap. So they don't have a fog machine. So all the fog is post production. It's all like an overlay mm-hmm. that's been printed onto the film. So it just kind of, for the most part, looks bad and just sort of ex- obscures being able to see what's going on. Yeah,
0: it looks more like, you know, there was like some dirt on the lens mm. rather than offering the unique depth that fog or smoke on set would actually provide. Exactly. Um, I think the biggest piece of evidence that this movie is written just through tropes is the fact that uh, George can easily put... Uh, dr lomas's motivations together right without actually being told what they are yeah like he wakes up after being attacked by werewolf lomas and he's like oh yeah no he was doing this janet because uh your your estate and inheritance and
1: mm-hmm. that's why
0: he was sicking people on you because if you commit suicide then it would all still go to him and it's like no one has told you this you didn't find any secret documents you've just put this together and it's accurate Because we have seen this so many times.
1: Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, I'm kind of glad for it. Because, yeah, like, I didn't know for sure that this was the direction the movie was going to go in. But, like, once we were maybe 10 minutes into it, it was obvious. And so you're just spending a lot of the movie waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. It's so weird to me that this is so close to Son of Dr. Jekyll in basic premise. Not in execution, but in basic premise.
0: Well... Yes, but like like I said, it's same with like the son of Frankenstein, although that's like a little bit different. Son of Jekyll or even Devil Bat's daughter mm-hmm. follow the exact same premise. This does as well, except this actually had a like a, a monster. Yes, like in both Son of Jekyll and Devil Bat's daughter, it was like all in your head it actually there was no not even supernatural there was no monster at all
1: this is closer to deviled bat's daughter in some ways because i mean not just that it's a daughter but like the lead character the descendant is you know spends most of the movie in bed and most of their belief that they're evil or a monster is being like stimulated through dreams the son of dr jekyll like at least had agency and got to like do things and like have an investigation into whether he was a monster or not and like figure out a mystery
0: see that's because of sexism Mm -hmm. because um same as in devil bat's daughter as in daughter of jekyll we have to have a square jawed male hero trademark sign Mm -hmm. in order for the plot to move forward it's these movies are being held back with the idea of like, well, these women are the victims, so they can't be also the protagonist. Right.
1: There is something to be said about it being a female protagonist and being a story about like, you know, getting gas lit out of your money and so on. Like, like rings truer, unfortunately to like reality and the way that like women are treated and taken advantage of and manipulated and things. But like, I think back to cat in the canary and like, the lead character in that was better
0: because she did things right. She had the agency
1: because her boyfriend in that was like a jokey Harold Lloyd type.
0: Yeah. that. Yeah. I think my frustrations with that whole thing of Janet not having agency and being able to be like the star of her own movie mm-hmm. is most evident in the beginning because I kept feeling so frustrated how the plot was consistently only given when, John Agar was in the room, right? Because it it was as if it's like, oh, so this is supposed to be from his point of view. Except then we get the nightmares from Janet's point of view.
1: It's it's very clearly like, the clearest example of this, is when, Dr. Lomas, reveals her true parentage to her, and they're both in the room, Janet and George, and Dr. Lomas is like, I need to reveal to you that you're the daughter of Dr. Jekyll, but first it has to, you have to be alone. And so she's like, okay, well, George, leave the room. And then we cut to like George sitting around. Janet walks in. She's like, I've learned the terrible secret, but I can't tell you about it at all. And then Dr. Lomas comes in and he's like, I could tell you if, if you want. And then he just tells him. And it's like, well, then why, why did we go through this whole rigmarole?
0: And I know the reason is to pad out time. Yes, But it's also just like, come on. However, I will say that even though that is like a frustrating part of this movie, at least George is super ineffectual.
1: Yeah, he sucks. Um,
0: He also is just a terrible person. (laughs) Can I just say this? He calls Janet an idiot because she has these real fears. She at one point is like outside the crypt, like being like, I guess I got to get killed. Like I have, she's actively considering suicide and he's like, Oh, you little idiot. Yeah. It's, it's because
1: he also falls into the category of like, he's gotta be in some ways also the David manners type where the heroine is saying like, I'm afraid and things are bad. And he needs to be the one saying like, it's all in your head, go to sleep because the movie needs to keep happening. Like, The movie keeps contriving, and to be fair, it's Dr. Lomas is the one contriving, but the movie keeps contriving reasons for them to stay at the house, because the whole thing would be over immediately if they were just like, this is weird and silly, let's just hop in the car and leave.
0: (laughs) Gloria Talbot is pretty good. Yeah, I think she does a good job here. And I think you can tell that she does see that there is good stuff under the hood Mm -hmm. as he kind of put it um she's not great but she's good in a horror b movie and she has very effective screaming yes which i think is like half the battle for (laughs) these damsels
1: yeah for sure this is one of those movies where we're set in Britain, but everyone just has an american accent except for dr lomas who's scottish yeah or irish maybe
0: I he doesn't say. Right, he doesn't. He has matter. he has like a
1: Gaelic-ish accent. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no one no one else tries to kind of even um groundskeeper Jacob, who's supposed to be like our our like you know rural Englishman type, is just he just talks like an American.
0: He uh, is also the source of many of the different pronunciations, including from Jekyll to Jekyll to Jekyll.
1: Yes, uh, the narrator uses Jekyll at the very start of the movie, and we were like, "Oh, okay, we're going purist, huh?" But then all the lead characters say Jekyll, and then Jacob says Jekyll. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that like isn't consistent throughout this movie, which really speaks to like. We don't have time for take two. It's
0: six days, Ben.
1: Um, The reason I bring up the movie being so similar to Son of Dr. Jekyll, even though, as you point out, there's other movies that have done this same plot, is just because this is daughter of Dr. Jekyll. Like, this this isn't even a new... Like, this isn't daughter of Larry Talbot. Like, we're still... It's the same guy. It's the same story. You just went from son to daughter, and you're doing the exact same thing. And one of the writers on that movie wrote this movie. It's kind of like how Simon Kinberg co-wrote X-Men The Last Stand and then later wrote Dark Phoenix. So he basically wrote two different blockbuster adaptations of the Dark Phoenix saga. Like it's just weird Mm -hmm. to me.
0: I'll also add on to that, that, um, I mean, I teased this at the beginning of People wanting to look at this movie and be like, oh, like it was thinking through like women's role mm-hmm. and interaction with uh, patriarchy and things. And on a surface level, I guess in the sense of like, you know, the the idea of like trying to gaslight a woman, I guess there is one point where Janet says, like, I can't answer you, George. Uh, I don't
1: I can't make decisions. I can't
0: make decisions. But it's from a place of like, I'm overwhelmed with all of these emotions. I don't know who I am. Uh, Am I Janet or am I Janet Jekyll? That is a terrible name. Oh, my goodness. Um, And have I murdered someone? Have I killed? Like, who am I? So it's more of that rather than being like, What is the role of women? What is the role of women? The only other thing that I think people would grasp onto for these straws would be sexy werewolf babe going after ladies Mm -hmm. uh, in the same vein as Dracula's daughter and lesbianism.
1: Yeah. But even like none of these elements that are getting grasped at to form theses for grad papers feel intentional on the part of the movie, like this isn't a movie about sexism. This is a movie that depicts sexism because it was made in a sexist time by people for whom sexism just sort of filled the room like air. And so you just couldn't avoid it. Yeah. Like this isn't addressing sex. It has nothing to say about sexism. It just is sexist because kind of everything was. And like the lesbianism stuff, like, the dream sequences are so quick and over and done with because we don't have a lot of money for elaborate stuff that it's hard to say that they're focusing on anything like sexual or, or provocative, you know, there are women being threatened in them because that's who gets threatened in horror movies.
0: Yeah. And I, like, I will say that like, when I'm saying sexy werewolf babe, I mean like she has makeup done up like vampire. Her nightgown is no longer like a crew neck, but rather a deep v neck. Mm-hmm. And her nails are out like vampires. So, yeah. like, she is done up to be sexual. Um, her nightgown is clearly see-through. Like, you can see the silhouettes of her legs. Um, so, they are trying to make it like bad girl is sexy. But they're but not that's saying not, anything. Exactly. That's that's just a, another trope that they're pulling from the well.
1: Yeah, it's not a sexual subtext that's remarking upon the role of like repressed lust or something like 1931, Jekyll and Hyde. It's just that they picked up from Curse of Frankenstein that if you want to do all the old horror movie stuff that's all old-fashioned by this point one of the ways you can update it for the modern time is with the addition of sex yeah and they just didn't learn any other lessons from curse of frankenstein because other than babes in corsets and and you know sexy women being present in the movie Everything else about this movie is like studiously old-fashioned. Like we've got, you know, a bookcase that turns to reveal a secret room. And just everything about this feels like it should have been made in 1944.
0: Yeah, we do have the book of uh, Supernatural Exposition. Right. Except what was kind of neat is instead of showing us the page that they are reading, we hear their... Like internal monologue reading. So we hear like John Agar's voiceover and then we hear Gloria Talbot's voiceover.
1: Which is mildly better.
0: Yeah. It was kind of like, oh, cool. Thank you for like thinking of a different way to do this.
1: But it is like, when was the last time we had that? Like it's it used to be every movie had and it's been a long time. But
0: it's 1957. We we know.
1: Ulmer, as we mentioned, is sort of trying his best with the limited tools he has available to him. He does seem to know the secret of the colored filter transformation trick, which is a little funny because what they're going with here is a Mr. Hyde that looks, as I said, like a hairy dude, not full werewolf, just like sideburns, hairy hands, fangs, claws. And so to make the hair appear on him, they've done the makeup as just they've drawn the hair on the back of the hand and the mutton chops and stuff and done that in like the red makeup that's gonna show up when you take off the red filter kind of thing so they do the transformation and it's like all these marks appear on his face and then in the next shot it's fake hair that they've they've glued to him
0: yeah but i mean it shows effort yeah doing it, that it's not just like a cross dissolve
1: yeah exactly um same with like I'm going to say that the ultraviolet film in the nightmare sequences is sort of a failed experiment for me. But it,
0: Yeah, it didn't look any different, but boy, did they employ Dutch angles.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, normally what ultraviolet film is supposed to do is it brings out like a lot of detail. Like if I was to shoot my own face in ultraviolet, you'd see like every wrinkle like it was a big canyon.
0: Right. Yeah, that's what they use to show sun damage and stuff.
1: But it, it, the thing yeah, is... Yeah, it doesn't is,
0: translate here.
1: Well, because... Because they're nightmare sequences, he's also like put Vaseline on the lens to make it all like blurry and stuff. And I will say that it's to the movie's detriment that the filming style of the nightmare stuff, even though it's all more trying to be creative, makes them obviously nightmares, right? So you, you kind of know, even before you're supposed to know, that like she's not getting out of her room. Like these are just nightmares
0: yeah it's almost as if like you know it wants you to tip the toe into the pool of is she a werewolf not even like oh she's a werewolf but is she a werewolf and then have it be like no no uh but Lomaz is
1: right (laughs) and i think Lomaz being the werewolf is the key reason why in my opinion this is horror
0: yeah even though
1: you know son of dr jekyll and devil bat's daughter we both put on miscellaneous because they're because nothing happens in those movies um this movie because it has the werewolf and just because it's like engaging with so many of the old tropes of horror movies we kind of have to rank it
0: yes i would also say that the emphasis that it does put on janet's perspective both in the nightmares and then also when she has that breakdown scene mm-hmm. um really draws forward horror that she is going through yes so i think just with that it also plants this in the horror genre uh we'll see how high it goes up on the list though
1: yeah i'm interested to see because i've been trying to gauge through this whole conversation if you liked it more or less than me and i can't quite tell so let's find out so where were you looking
0: well I mentioned Dracula's daughter. Yeah. And while that movie is definitely pushing boundaries in terms of depiction of homosexuality on screen, um, of female desire, of female vampires, it also is a bit of a greatest hits from Dracula, but this time with a woman. So I was like, okay, well, let's have this as my starting point. Um, Because like... Below Dracula's Daughter, we have The Mummy's Tomb, Invaders from Mars, Vampire's Ghost. All of these, I feel like Daughter of Dr. Jekyll is doing enough things that I would feel okay putting above those things. So let's say my floor is below Dracula's Daughter, so it would enter at 102. My ceiling, I went up, and then my eyes settled at number 97, The Man from Planet X also an Elmer picture um I think that Man from Planet X is better than Daughter of Dr. Jekyll because of how effective he is as a director in that film versus this one I don't know what the difference might have been whether it was budget or more time to shoot or whatever but it just is a much better horror movie that so that puts my range between 97 and 101
1: so we we have a problem, which okay. is you liked this movie much more than me it seems. Interesting. You're looking around the midpoint of the list, I was looking at the bottom.
0: No, I would not put this at the bottom. Okay, tell me your reasoning before I, so, I jump in.
1: So I didn't really enjoy watching this movie. I didn't hate it. Um but the plot was just so formulaic. It, I I knew it was going to happen so far in advance. That really, there was nothing that caught my attention or interested me or engaged me in any way until Lomas became a werewolf at the very end. And even then, at that point, we're just watching a werewolf movie. So I just didn't feel entertained by this. And I, I could tell that Ulmer was trying to do things and, you know, power to him. But, like, it's so cheap as well. So there was just so little to recommend this movie to me. Um, Gloria Talbot's performance and Ulmer is trying. And that's about it. So I thought about last week's movie, The Unearthly, which also fell really short in our eyes because of the fact that it was just a really stock plot doing the exact same thing as always with no innovation. Uh, That's sitting at 183. I think The Unearthly is more professionally made than this movie, but... I don't think Boris Petrov was trying. Like, Boris Petrov is going through the motions with a reasonable budget for a low budget movie, and Edgar G. Elmer is trying the best he can with just no money whatsoever. So, I thought this could go above The Unearthly. Um, the highest I was sort of thinking of putting it would have been below The Mad Ghoul, above. Spider Woman Strikes Back.
0: Spider Woman Strikes Back also has the uh doped milk.
1: Yes. Yes, which it is does. Funny. And then looking below the unearthly, right below that is Mesa of Lost Women, which is just a train wreck. So the lowest I would go is I'd put this below the unearthly, above Mesa of Lost Women, depending on how we feel about like boring but competent versus boring and cheap and bad, but trying. So I was looking like way down at the bottom here. So we're going to have to figure out like some kind of compromise.
0: Guess what is the midpoint between your high point and my low point? What? Number 140, the 1920 Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde.
1: Ah. (laughs) So looking in this area of the list, we've got that 1920 Jekyll and Hyde, which I think is probably a better movie than this.
0: Yeah, like it uh, takes some... Creative liberties.
1: Yeah, at one point, Hyde is a big spider monster.
0: Well, not in even that. <laughs> like it has like that Borgia poison ring. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking on in terms of nightmares, Spider Jekyll, slash Hyde, or sexy werewolf babe. See, the thing is,
1: you keep saying sexy werewolf babe, but there's nothing about her that's werewolf. So I feel like the appeal of a sexy werewolf babe is lost
0: okay so sexy babe right
1: (laughs) i think spider hide is probably a better nightmare and then looking kind of just below there we've got the silent version of queen of spades which has some really cool imagery in it um edward's bride of the monster which has that great legosi performance beast with a million eyes which is a Corman picture that is doing more like has its million eyes are bigger than its stomach yeah yeah then we've got the devil bat which is terrible but fun. Uh, The Unknown, which is very unique. And then there's the she-creature and a bunch of other stuff.
0: Yeah, the she-creature is now down here after uh, The Appeal, which we posted uh, end of last week.
1: In terms of movies where the lead female character spends most of her time hypnotized, I think I like this a little better than the she-creature.
0: Yeah, I was going to suggest um, Below Bride of the Monster because that, even though it has like the silly octopus stuff and like you can tell that the walls are painted brick Mm -hmm. everyone's trying and everyone's having fun Mm -hmm. and they've made a great picture Mm -hmm. whereas um the beast with a million eyes like people are trying but it's not that good of a picture yeah uh i think daughter of dr jekyll is a little better than the beast with a million eyes
1: (laughs) you're saying it sort of splits the difference between like you know, the Edward enthusiasm and the like Ed Wood and Roger Corman's brands of being more ambitious than your budget. Like all like these three guys, right? Like Wood, Ulmer, they all have the same similar limitations working in the same genre and mm-hmm. they all sort of approach how to solve that problem a little differently. I feel like...
0: It th- is really interesting that both Wood and Ulmer are drawing on these older sources to get the job done. Mm -hmm. Almar makes sense because he was already working then. Would, I mean, it also makes sense, but like it's coming from a fan base, not an experience base. Right. And Corman is the only one who's really pushing forward.
1: Yeah, because it feels like Corman doesn't have a connection to the past in that same way, right? So he's just like looking at movies that are out and being like, well, what makes money? Let's do that. I feel like the thing that could have really pushed this movie up the ranks, I don't mind John Agar just sleepwalking his way through this because we tolerate a lot of shitty lead male characters in horror movies. Um, I agree with you that Gloria Talbot's doing a good job. I really like the scene where she kind of like breaks down crying and tells George like, if you love me, you should kill me. That was really good. If the actor playing Lomas was like a John Carradine or a Bella Lugosi or like a Boris Karloff, like someone with some presence, some gravitas. It might have given away that he was the villain too early because the actor who is playing him, I feel like, was mostly cast for his like kind grandfatherly vibe. Yeah, I don't really buy the turn. But on the other hand, the turn is so obvious and we know it's coming so early anyway that just get the guy with some charisma right yeah so I feel like that's another thing that Bride of the Monster really wins over both this and Beast with a Million Eyes is it's got the last good Bela Lugosi performance
0: okay so do you like this spot then yeah I think so
1: so entering the list at the new number 143 The Daughter of Dr. Jekyll from 1957 directed by Edgar G. Ulmer.
0: If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to the many episodes that we've mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any of our rankings, you can drop us a line through our ask box on Tumblr. You can email us at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at underscore screamscene.
1: Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Subscribe to the show through our RSS feed and leave us a rating or a review if you want to help the show out. You can also help us out by telling a friend about us, um, sharing the show on social media, or by heading over to patreon.com slash Scream Scene Podcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month patrons at the five and ten dollar levels get access to regular bonus content and thanks to the support of our patrons, we are doing a bonus episode once a month on horror adjacent films uh stuff like young Frankenstein, for instance, which kind of reminds me of these movies with you know the son or descendant coming back and being like, "My father wasn't crazy um it's Frankenstein right. So there's going to be a poll for our patrons up on Patreon to vote on what that next bonus episode is going to be. But as always, as long as we are above that goal on Patreon, those episodes will go out to everyone in the regular RSS feed. So that's patreon.com slash podcast.
0: What are we watching next week, Ben
1: next week, Sarah, we're watching a movie about a woman who gets possessed by her husband's ex-wife. <laughs> it's called Back from the Dead, and that's all I know about it.
0: Amazing. Uh, well, actually, before we say goodbye, let's just take a minute to celebrate that we now have two hundred horror movies on our list.
1: Right, right, awesome, good job, Sarah.
0: Woo. Woo! All
1: right, well, we'll see you next week, Creatures of the Night, for two hundred and one.
0: Ooh! Bye. Bye. Thank you.